Well, today we are going to be looking at yet another story of an incredible woman of God. And I am confident that you women will be blown away today, but uh, today's message is especially for a particular demographic of you ladies, and that is the younger ones. So for those of you, you're what, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, maybe 16, that age group, you want to pay very close attention today because it relates to your arena. And, you know, this little girl that we're going to read about, she has amazing character. This little girl has amazing faith. And I'm excited about today, you know, out of all the ones that we'll do uh, in this series, this one is going to be probably one of the most special for me. It resonates, and I, 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 hope, I hope you feel that today. I hope it translates well. And so with that said, our story is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And this is typically a story known about Naaman, about Elisha. Whereas the little girl that, that is such a significant part of the story often fades into the background somehow. We're going to bring her out front and center today. And so let's get to it. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, this is what we read. Now Naaman, or in Hebrew, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, or Aram, was a great and honorable man. In the Hebrew, it's Ishkadol. He is great, great man. In the eyes of his master, in other words, in the eyes of the king of Syria, now, why is this? Well, we continue, and this is what we read. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. That's not a misprint. You're reading this right. That's the tetragrammaton. The Lord was helping Syria. The Lord was giving Syria victory. The Lord was with this Naaman, with this guy, this general, this commander. Now, how bizarre. For some people, it's hard to wrap your mind around that, but not really when you read, you know, the Psalms, you read Psalm 47. The Lord is the king over all the earth. Kings rise and kings fall because of our God. He's very involved in the affairs of the foreign nations. Just look at the rise of Babylon. Who was with Nebuchadnezzar? Who made Nebuchadnezzar great? It was the God of Israel. You, you just go down the line. Medo-Persia ends up wiping out Babylon. And then you got Alexander the, the Great coming in. Greece taking over Medo-Persia, and so on with Rome. God is in the affairs of everything. And here we see he's very much a part of this. And so the, the king of Syria loves Naaman, loves him. It's, you're going to see just how special he really is to the king in this story because he's gaining all these victories through him. And we learn a little bit more here. He was also a mighty man of valor, Chayil. You know, we, we talk about a Proverbs 31 woman, an Eshet Chayil. He is an, an Ish Chayil. He's a man of valor. He's a man of integrity, a man of character. But here's the problem. He's a leper. He's plagued with a nasty case of, of a skin disease that it's not so severe that it prohibits him from going out on these conquests and fulfilling his missions, but it is plenty severe to be part of his identity, and you'll just see how severe it is as, as we get into the deeper into the story today. Moving on to verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids 
and had brought back captive a young girl, a na'ara ketana. When you look at this, you're dealing with someone in the age realm of probably 11, 12, 13, maybe, maybe 14, maybe even 15 at the higher end. This is a young girl. And we learn something about her. Two more things as we put this up. She's from the land of Israel and she waited on Naaman's wife. Here's the backdrop. We're only in verse two and we get the entire context for the rest of the story. Right in this one verse, Syria apparently had got on a conquest, went into certain provinces of Israel and laid waste to these cities of which one of which this little girl resided in. This young little girl literally ripped from her parents, ripped from her home, ripped from her family, from her land, literally stripped of her all her freedom. As this little girl, I'm sure she would run and play around with her friends and run around the house and be able to come in at the end of the night to hug her mother and father. It's totally stripped of all of that to be taken captive and to be a slave to the enemies that destroyed her people. Now we're not told whether or not her mother and father are killed, but it's a very good possibility. Do you understand the backdrop here? Do you understand what this little girl is going through? Put yourself in this situation, especially you younger women. What would this do to you? If someone came in and abducted you, Another foreign power came in and abducted you and took you away from your family. You want to talk about the fear and anxiety that you would experience like never before, swirling about. How, how, I mean, I, I wonder how much time she spent weeping and agony being all alone, having no one, and just wanting her mom and dad back. Think about that. I mean, this is a horrific situation when you, when you think about what this little girl goes through. And what about the parents? Mom and dad, how, how would you feel if someone came in and took your kids from you? And I, you know, I, think, about, <laughs> I think about what the Torah says. Torah talks about Leviticus 26. It talks about in, in Deuteronomy 28. It talks about when I land, when my people... And this actually goes for any land, any pagan land. You want to reject the Lord? You want to rebel against him? You want to wallow in sin? He's going to unleash his curses. One of which is this. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. Absolutely painful. As you're looking at the entire historical backdrop to this story, it's gut-wrenching. That this little girl could be just taken from this and what she's going through is unimaginable. Well, we're going to continue. And we move on to verse 3 and this is what we read. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. The last thing I would ever expect this little girl to say, given the history here. What I expect her to say is to come on and say, well, I hope my master dies a horrific death of this disease. This one who ripped me from my, took me from my family, 
took me from my home, took me from my freedom and my comfort. I mean, how many of you, you, you leave for two, three weeks and you're glad to get home, even if you're, you know, on vacation. You want to come home so you can sleep in your own bed. And there are times, you know what, you want to be reunited with your kids or even your spouse because you miss them. Even if it's for just a couple days, guess what? Not happening for her. She doesn't get to go home. She doesn't get to feel that comfort. She doesn't get to feel her bed. She doesn't get to play with her friends anymore. All of it's gone. And, and this is what she says? See, instead of speaking life, or instead of speaking death, she comes out and speaks life. She is sharing the grace of God. She's sharing the power of God. She is, you know, Naaman, spiritually speaking, is blind. And she certainly could have laid a stumbling block before the blind. She doesn't. She says, follow me. This is the way. Walk in it. This is where you need to go. This is how you are going to be healed. This is where your help is. That's unbelievable that this little girl has done it. You know, I I think about uh, Matthew. And Yeshua's teaching in Matthew chapter 5. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may become sons and daughters of your father in heaven. This little girl has the teachings of Yeshua in her heart. And she is speaking life into this guy. In a context that I wonder if you could do. In this context, is this what you would speak to him? Would you lead this person to the Lord? You know, we will learn a lot about this statement that she makes here. Look at what she says. If my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his lapsary. What does that tell you? This little girl believes in the prophets of Israel. She believes specifically the prophet in mind here is Elisha. He is a true prophet of God. He is anointed of the living God. And and you you pick up on this and then you read this. In 2 Chronicles, Jehoshaphat comes out to the people. They're going to go into war. And he's given them a uh, pre-battle talking to. And he says, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Yerushalayim. Believe in the Lord your God and and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. See, when I read this reality that those who believe in his prophets, and then I see this statement by her, that she totally, 100%, unwavering, 100% faith in the prophets of God, I already know her future. I don't care if there's anything written after this. This girl maintains this belief. She's going to prosper. The Bible has said. The Holy Spirit has spoken. It's an absolute promise. And so this tells me a lot. This one little statement tells me so much about her character, number one. And it tells me about her faith. And just follow this to its logical conclusion. Oh, okay. If she believes in the prophets of God, who does she believe in? The God of Israel. With all her heart. This little girl believes in the one true God of Israel. Now that's an incredible thought, don't you think? There's not a shred of doubt in this little girl. Notice, 
Oh, if, 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 if my master were with the province Mary, he would be. Not might. Well, maybe if you, know what, if you want to go travel and, and meet up with the prophet in Israel, he, he might be able to help you or maybe he could do something for you. This little girl doesn't say that. It's an absolute fact. Her faith is so strong in God. No, it would be done. You'd be healed. It's that simple. There's no wavering here. This little girl is amazing. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians. Paul has something to say that's going to help us understand this little girl in, in such a profound way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Messiah Yeshua, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, listen, who comforts us in all our tribulation. This little girl went through some serious tribulation, a hellish experience that you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemies. This little girl knows tribulation. And let me ask you a question. How do you think she coped with it? How do you think she dealt with the emptiness, the loneliness, the fear, the anxiety? She turned her heart to the Lord. This little 11, 12, 13-year-old girl turned her heart solely to the Lord. And what's amazing, look at what Paul goes on to say. He goes on to say that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, here's the deal. There is no way that this little girl could come out and say what she says and lead this guy to life to, to show him grace, to show him mercy, to show him a true comfort that he was dying for if she was not yet first comforted, comforted. See, because here's the reality. You can't give what you don't have. I can't give you hope if I don't have hope. I can't give you grace if I don't have grace. I certainly can't give you comfort if I haven't been comforted by the Lord. The living God of Israel lives in this child, dwelling, just this one little girl, it's absolutely amazing. Now, continuing, what we're going to discover here is she has told the wife of Naaman, and, and, and she, this is a declaration of faith, profound. Well, the wife is going to take this to her husband and convey this information, which it's going to trickle down. Verse 4, we read, and Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. How does he present himself in front of the king of Syria? He presents it and says, hey, this little girl from Israel said, the Lord God of Israel can heal me. There's a prophet who has power to do the unimaginable, to do the unthinkable, to do what nobody else can do. He is taking her faith and her testimony, and now it's being presented before kings. A little slave girl. By, by most accounts would say, hey, if you're just a little slave girl, there's nothing. You have no place in this life. You're not going to matter. There's no difference you're going to make. And already her words are being brought before the king. Absolutely amazing. Verse 5. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Now pay attention, because we're given specific numbers here. 
And when you translate these numbers, we're dealing with 700, we're dealing with 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. Pounds, not ounces. Do you know what that translates today? Four and a half million. Four and a half million dollars. That's a considerable chunk of change, but here's the problem. That's really not the amount that they have because scholars will tell you, top scholars will tell you, the purchasing power of this amount of gold and silver in today's world, 750 million. You're talking a little shy of the billion dollar mark. Why am I mentioning this? This is one thing you cannot pass this by. You want to understand the deep context of the reality here. You have to understand how much he is bringing with him for the sole purpose of Naaman wants to be healed and he's willing to plunder the treasury just so that he can be healed. Do you understand this plague and this curse that is upon him? He's willing to give anything to make this happen. $750 million. This is insane. So we're dealing with an obscene amount of wealth. This is how badly he wants it. He doesn't even consider because there's no price. You can't put a price on what he desires to get this plague and curse off my body. You know, on the back end, we won't even get get into it today, but it is interesting. This will be presented before Elisha. And literally... He offers it all to him. Take this gift from me. I mean, you're talking almost a billion dollars and Elisha doesn't take one penny. Ah, that's a man of character. Unbelievable. Moving to verse six. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent to Naaman, my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. This letter did not go to Elisha. It went to the king of Israel. Imagine being the king of Israel and getting open in this letter. Oh, what does it say? And he looks at this. Well, how does he respond? Well, the way you would expect. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? First thing I want you to recognize is this. The king of Israel is testifying what Naaman has is incurable. No man can help him. The only one that could possibly help him is God. And so his obvious conclusion, does he think I'm God? Because he's asking me to do something that only God can do. Interesting. And he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 32, God kills and makes alive. Powerful passage. And then, and then we continue on. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. I mean, that makes sense to me, honestly. Here you have the king of Syria, which they were on and off fighting, right? And he sends this letter out, hey, do something only God can do, you know. The conclusion you come to is this guy wants to go to war. He's asking me to do something he knows I can't do. He knows I can't do it, so he must must want to go to war. Moving on to verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. 
The overlay of typology is so awesome here in the foreshadow. You know, you look at the Old Testament prophets, and, and they're, they're, they're foreshadows of the prophet that would come, Yeshua, the Messiah. They're foreshadows. And what does Yeshua come? He comes on the scene and says the exact same thing in Matthew 11, verse 28, right? Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden. What? I will give you rest. <laughs> you will know there's a prophet in Israel. And so this statement is extremely powerful that he says, and true. Verse 9, then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And so here he's waiting for the prophet, he's expecting the prophet's going to come out, but Elisha's not going to come out and meet him. Something else happens. In verse 10, and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Now that's very significant what he's being instructed here, uh, especially when you consider what he's ailing of. He's ailing of leprosy. That's interesting. You go to Leviticus 14 and what you read is that when, when a leprosy is healed in a person, there's a specific a ceremonial cleansing process of which includes the sprinkling of the blood of a bird seven times upon the person to be cleansed, which there was two birds, one's killed in the scarlet wool and hyssop, and they bring these things together, and the bird is killed over running water, mayim chaim, living water, and then it's sprinkled seven times on the person. And here, so, you know, it, it's not a coincidence that, oh, you need to dip seven times. Uh, and it will actually even mean more as we continue but another thing before we move on, Yom Kippur, what does the high priest do when he goes into the Kodesh HaKodeshim? He, go, he goes in and sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat seven times. And you know, the rabbis talk about they do it in such a fashion that they're cracking a whip. Talmud talks about that. And so the, 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 what's being instructed here, very biblical, okay? This is the mind of God. You can tell what's being instructed. This is the mind of the Lord. But then it says this, and pay close attention, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. There's two things being conveyed here, not one. The healing of your flesh, that's going to be restored. That's one thing. But then there's a cleansing where you are clean before God. Now, understand, if you go back to Leviticus 14, it, will, it lays it out. It says, when a, when a priest realizes that someone has been healed of their leprosy, they will go out, they will verify, oh, you have been healed of your leprosy, but then they got to go through this, this comprehensive ceremonial cleansing process so that they can come back into the camp. They're not allowed to come back in the camp because the leprosy is gone. That's, no. You don't get to come back in the camp until you're cleansed. And so there's two things. Now, this is phenomenal. Because what Elisha is instructing him is the complete fulfillment of Leviticus 14. He will both be healed and he will be cleansed ceremonially before God. That's mind-blowing to me to see what's going on here. Now we move to verse 11. But Naaman became furious. He's livid and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. I, I actually totally understand him right now. You know, this guy, Naaman, 
has had all this time to process. Now, we're not told how long, you know, from his house to Elisha's house, it took him to, how long it took to get there. But we do know there's traveling time. And guess what? During this traveling time, what is he doing? He's meditating on how this is going to go down, exactly how the Lord is going to heal him. He's ecstatic. He can't stop thinking about it. And the way he lays it out makes sense. Yes, I am going to get there. I got it in my head. This is going to be amazing. He's coming, he's coming. He gets to the crescendo. He gets to the crescendo, and in his mind, it's like, here he goes. He's going to come out. He's going to call on the name of the Lord, making perfect sense, and he's going to wave his hand, and my leprosy's gone. See, he had an expectation of how God was going to fulfill this. And when that expectation wasn't met, he fell apart. He begins to lose faith. He gets angry. He gets frustrated. He begins to lose hope. Learn from this. Because how many times do you set your expectations on how God should do certain things in your life? So dumb. I've learned. See, in ministry, I had it all worked out. You know, when we started Corner Fringe Ministries, oh man, did I have it all laid out and I was all wrong every step of the way. Because I conceived it. I said, God will do this and God will do that and he's going to do it this way and blah, blah, blah. And none of it happened. And what, what did I fall in danger of? I'm going to tell you right now, I fell into discouragement. I fell into despair. I fell into at times in hopelessness. I fell in times I want to quit. I want to walk away. Because I placed my expectation on God's will. That is dangerous. And even as innocently as it, it happens, this is innocent. I mean, and you'll, you'll appreciate this in, more in a moment. But this is innocent for the most part. He, he, was, he was going there. He had it all worked out. This is exactly how it's going to go. But he gets there. He gets the, the rug pulled out from under his feet. Now he continues in verse 12. Are not the Avanah and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. He's gone. He's left. He is leaving. He's done. He is so angry. And, and look at what's going on here. It's what was said sounded utterly ridiculous to him. This is ridiculous. Clearly, he has waters where he could have dipped in. It's, you know, I think about him and the devastation that he's experiencing right now in his heart. He came all this way to be healed. And he gets there, and this guy says something that sounds absolutely ridiculous and insane. It's total foolishness. I could have did this. You could have sent a letter back, and I would have dipped in the, the rivers of, of Syria, which are nicer than yours. I mean, this is, this is where he's at. You know, I think about this, and I, I think of what the prophets say, like specifically Hosea. The Lord speaks in Hosea chapter 8, and he says, you know, I've written for them great things in my law. In other words, I've given my words to my people, but they were considered a strange thing. They were considered silly. Even to some, ridiculous. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the years with, with people and, and talking about the beauty of Torah and the legitimacy that they, we got we to gotta focus. It's, it's on the words of God. And a lot of people have a hang up on 
Some of the things that are said are just ridiculous to them. Do you, you see what happens? See, when you write off God's words as ridiculous and stuff, what are you not doing? You're not trusting and you are not obeying. You're not. You're, you're trying to use your own mental logic. And so we, we see that Naaman is falling into this trap. Okay? And he doesn't believe. Right now, he does not believe the word of the prophet. Just go into that. If he believed it, he would have gone and did it. But now his faith is struggling because God didn't meet his expectations. Okay, so all his dreams are coming crashing down here. Then we move to verse 13. Check this out. Because in the midst of all of this, something so beautiful happens. In verse 13, we read, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? Would not you have done it? How much more then... When he says to you, wash and be clean. Thing I want to point out here above all else is this. His servants came to him. Now keep in mind, this is not the servants of the king of Syria. These are his in-home personal servants. Who are the ones moving to intercede on his behalf and to tell him, believe in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Obey the Lord's words. It is none other than his servants. Oh, and by the way, who is a part of his groups of servants? The little Israelite girl. Now, I'm not saying that the little Israelite girl is here in this group right here. She certainly could. We're not, you know, it doesn't say she wasn't. I suspect she stayed back. That's not something I want to get into a debate about. But what needs to be brought to the table is this. And this is huge. All of this narrative, this whole thing, all happened because of one little girl's faith and her boldness to declare that faith, her honor and character to declare that faith and to tell Naaman, there's hope, Naaman, for your disease. There's hope. There is a cure. It is the God of Israel. He is the healer. That little girl started it all. She got the attention of Naaman's wife. She got the attention of Naaman. And you don't think that being in servants, you're tight, you're you're interacting with other servants. Do you think she wasn't declaring her love and her faith in God that he can absolutely do this? This little girl had convinced all of Naaman's servants that he could be healed. That's unbelievable. She impacted the entire house. If it were not for that, right now, Naaman would be a plagued leper. But these servants, because they believed this little girl, they themselves are going to save him, going to intercede on his behalf. This story is awesome. I mean, I just, the the further you get into this, the the more awesome it gets. Now, as we move on, you're going to, See that Naaman, he's going to heed. He's going to heed the counsel. Do you see the power of intercession? This is the power of it. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, which sounded totally idiotic. According to the saying of the man of God. According to what? The word of the Lord. This is not Elisha's command. This is what God wanted. And what is the benefit of trusting and obeying, this is the benefit. And his flesh was restored 
like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Got that? He was healed and cleansed. That is an awesome thing. Entirety of Leviticus 14 fulfilled in this one moment. Absolutely incredible. He can draw near to God. Now, moving to the next verse, it gets better. Verse 15, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. (laughs) Do you see the effect that this one little girl made on an entire household on this man's life? It wasn't just about getting his leprosy healed. This was about salvation. This guy just came into faith in the Lord. His confession is made. This guy is now the Lord's and he will only worship the Lord from now on. All this happened because of one little girl taken captive, spoke to her captors and shared the gospel with them. The truth of the one true God, his power his mercy, his grace. You know, when she comes out and she's telling him, you can be healed, she's conveying the message of my God is merciful. He's compassionate. He loves. That's why he would heal. This, the, the impact this little girl made is second to none. And the context, when you look at the context that she did all this, how, are you, how do you compare How do you compare in your heart? We may find out very soon because of what's coming. And so listen to me, young ladies. Your character, your speech, your faith. It can change people's lives. It matters. It matters you holding on to your faith so that you can receive a comfort that only God can give you. Only he can give you. I want to take you to some Psalms here because in thinking what this little girl went through, the Psalms just resonate with her story. In Psalm 61, verse one, we read to the chief musician on a string instrument, a Psalm of David, hear my cry. O God, attend to my prayer. Oh, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you in exile, being taken, held captive from the end of the earth, despite she was in a most horrific situation, what does this little girl do? She cries out to the God of Israel. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. No debate, this is the heart of this little girl. This is how she responded to an unimaginable event that is horrifying. Psalm 19, verse 143, trouble and anguish have overtaken me. Yet your commandments are my delights. Where did she draw comfort from? His word. She drew comfort from his word. Verse 81. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from from searching your word saying, when will you comfort me? Can you imagine day after day, this young girl getting up? I want to see my mom and dad. I want to see my mom and dad getting up the next day. I want to be with my mom and dad. Getting up the next day. I want to go home. I want to go home. Day after day. The only way you get through something like this, you just turn to the Lord and give him everything. 
Give him everything. Young ladies, you give him everything and you will prosper. It goes on and says, For I have become like a wineskin of smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. Do you know this little girl? Despite all of the hell and the fear and the anxiety and the weeping, the agony she went through, did she turn her back on God? Did she blame God? She actually went the opposite way. That's unbelievable. Because Satan gave her every opportunity to turn her back on God. To keep reminding her of all the horrible things that she has done. And that where was God in all of that? As you're being abducted, as your family's being laid waste to, as your take, your freedom is taken, your home is taken, saying just piling up all these things, all the reasons to turn your back on God. She doesn't do it. Who is this little girl with this kind of faith? She puts to shame the majority of believers today. The faith of this little girl. Amazing. Psalm 27, verse 10, listen to, listen to David. When my mother and father forsake me. In other words, when they're even what they're taken from me. If I'm separated from mom and dad, what happens? Then the Lord will take care of me. That's what happens. Never forget it. That little girls, you younger generation, you gotta, you gotta have that faith in your heart that Yeshua will never leave you or forsake you. You gotta have it. And it needs to be in your heart now so that when these things come, you have safety, you have a secure place to go to when your entire world, everything in your world is coming crashing down. You can go to the rock that is higher than I. It's beautiful. Yeshua can do things that your mom and dad can't. And that's where we need to be, amen?